So in the first service, when Garrett was making announcements, he said something like, and let's pray for the pastor and maybe he'll preach a good sermon this time or something like that. So um, thanks for toning it down a little bit there. <laughs> Apparently the prayer was answered and he felt good about the sermon enough that he didn't have to say that again. Um, I don't know if this ever happens to you. I'm kind of hoping it does. But has it ever happened to you where you, you come on Sunday, you hear a sermon, it's one of those times where it's just the passage that you need to hear from that week, and, and there's, there's a point that's made that just drives home in your heart, and the Spirit just awakens you, and you just feel incredibly touched by the sermon that day, um, so much so that uh, unlike most weeks, you wake up on Monday morning, and you still remember the sermon, and you still remember the point, and you, you're still sort of basking in it going, man, I really want to live this out in my life. Does that ever happen to any of you? Once, okay, like when you visit other churches and stuff like that? Okay, so um, that, I, I'm almost always up here preaching, and so I'm not out there like listening to this stuff for the first time and taking notes and writing all this down, and so it rarely happens to me that while I am preaching, the sermon touches me in that kind of a way that it just stays with me. But I got to tell you, last week, we're preaching from Ephesians chapter 3. We're in the book of Ephesians. Take your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3. But last week, um, as in Ephesians chapter 3, we're looking at Paul's prayer. And, and basically, he was talking about the depth and the height and the breadth of the love of God. And that we need to know that. We desperately need to know the love of God. And um, all week last week, as I was preparing that, the Lord was just working in my heart and speaking to me about that. And I thought, okay, thank you, Lord. And I preached the sermon and I thought that's done. And then I woke up Monday morning and that sermon was still churning in my heart. And the message of the depth of God's love for me was just touching me in my prayer time that Monday morning. I was just tearing up because I, I was so moved by the fact that there's so much more of God's love than I even know. And what I know of his love is enough to transform my life. And, and I thought, wow, that, that rarely happens to me. And by Tuesday, it was time to get focused on my next sermon, but I couldn't get focused on my next sermon because God just kept pouring into me this idea about how much he loves me. And, and it, it, you know, this is not new to me. I've known that God loves me for a long time. And I've preached on the love of God so many times, but for whatever reason, God just knew that what I needed to think about last week was more about how deep his love is. And, and I was just sort of basking in it all week, even as it was time to move on and start preparing for my next sermon, which you're hearing right now. And I realized that he was not going to let me just close my Bible after verse 19 of Ephesians 3 and move on from that like I usually do week to week, but I was going to have to stay in it. And um, some of you are looking terrified, like, is he going to preach that sermon again? We already listened last week. No, I'm not. But what I am going to do is I'm going to tell you that today's message is in verses 20 and 21 of Ephesians chapter 3, but it's going to take me a while to get there. Because we have to go back and we have to stew some more in the truth about God's love for us if we're even going to begin to understand what verses 20 and 21 are all about. So what I want to ask you to do is I want you to open to Ephesians 3 and we're going to begin in verse 14. And we're going to listen to Paul's prayer for us. Here's what he says. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Father, as we come to your word today, we so desperately need to have your spirit open our eyes, to have your spirit open our hearts and our minds, to speak to us, Father, because because it is not uncommon that we open even your word and what we read is words on a page and it gets into our head, but it never gets all the way into our lives. But Father, we do not want that to happen today. We want to be profoundly moved by your Spirit. We want to give you complete access to our lives today so that you can show us that we might know the love of God, which is incomprehensible. Only by your Spirit can we know. And so we ask you to enlighten us as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Go back to verse 16 and look at this. He says in his prayer that he would grant you, that's us, according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now, if somebody just says to you, the power of the Holy Spirit, I wonder what kind of an idea comes into your head. When you hear somebody talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, because we talk about the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, all of that kind of stuff. But when you hear someone talk about they say, I'm going to talk to you today about the power of the Holy Spirit. Or they say to you, I'm going to pray that you will experience today the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. I'm wondering what kind of thought comes into your mind. Because what typically comes into my mind is the miraculous. It's when the Holy Spirit, by His power, does something that we could never do on our own. He does something that we would never see if He didn't do it. I'm talking about, you know, the parting of the Red Sea. I'm talking about raising Jesus from the dead. I'm talking about casting demons out of people and and healing the sick and restoring sight to the blind and all of these things that the Holy Spirit has the power to do. And when we think about the Holy Spirit's power, that's usually what I'm thinking about. And yet, here in Ephesians chapter 3, when Paul speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit, he seems to be talking about an entirely different kind of manifestation of that power. That same power that raised Christ from the dead, he's talking about having that power manifested in our hearts, that something would happen within us, not some amazing, spectacular thing that we would look at and go, wow, look at that, but that he would do something that takes so much power that he's the only one who has enough power to do it, and he'll do it inside of us. He'll do it in our hearts. And and when we think about that, a lot of us really struggle with that because we may have no problem believing in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the big miraculous stuff. 
We read our Bibles and we see the Holy Spirit acting. You go to the book of Acts and, and you know, right after Pentecost, the, the, the Spirit comes upon them on the day of Pentecost and there's all these signs and wonders that happen. You go, wow, the Holy Spirit is powerful. And then the very next story you get is Peter and John go into the temple and there's this guy there who has been um, disabled from his youth and he sits there every day and everybody knows him and he's a beggar and it's his only way to make money is to sit there and trust that people will take care of him. And Peter and John come and he's asking them for money and they say to him, listen, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And he stands up for the first time in I don't know how long and he doesn't just walk, does he? He jumps up and down and dances, right? And we go, Holy Spirit power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have no problem believing that. We have no problem when the apostles are casting out demons and, 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 and spiritual war battles are being won, believing that that happens. We have no power believing that the power of the Holy Spirit, we have no problem believing this, that the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, that he was literally dead when they laid him in the tomb, and on the third day, he's completely alive. How did that happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian today, I trust that you believe that. Amen? And, 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 and we don't have any trouble believing that. In fact, our whole faith system is based on that, and we celebrate it all the time, especially on Easter. We have no problem believing that God has so much power that all he had to do was speak a word in the entire universe came into existence. We have no problem believing that. We have no problem believing that that same God with all that power can speak another word and says he will one day and the entire universe will be consumed in intense heat and cease to exist and he will create a new heaven and a new earth and his church will reign with him. We have no problem believing that. All of that makes perfect sense because we know that the Spirit of God has incredible power. But what we struggle with believing, and I mean really believing, is that he has the power to take my messed up life and transform it. See, that to me just seems like way out there. Like, I know he has power, but can he really do that? There are a lot of people in this room who are so accustomed to struggling and are so familiar with limping along spiritually that it doesn't even occur to you anymore that God actually has a plan to give you an amazing life in Christ and that he has the power to carry out that plan in your life. You look in the mirror, you hear the promises of God, you look in the mirror and you know your own heart and you go, I know stuff about me that nobody else knows. I know the holes that I keep stepping in. I know the many times when the Spirit has convicted me and I have confessed and I have repented and I have cried real tears and I've begged God and I've said, Lord, this is the last time I draw the line here. No more of this living in this same sin that I've been living in all this time. I, I repent. I'm not going to live in it anymore. Only to find a few days later that you're praying that same prayer because once again, you jumped in that same ditch, Right? And we become so accustomed to that, that some of us, we know intellectually that he has the power to do anything, but it never really occurs to us that that's real in our lives. It seems so far-fetched based on your experience with yourself that you've learned to not even think about such things. And as Christians, we often get caught up 
in the external things. Um, the, the list of things that good Christians are supposed to do and the list of things that good Christians are not supposed to do. And, and we sort of base our sense of our spiritual well-being based on those lists and how we're doing. Are we doing the right things? Are we behaving in the right ways? And, and, and we have a tendency to, to just look on the surface, not just when we judge others, which we do way too much of, but even when we judge our own hearts, which we do way too little of, because we know that we're struggling against temptations. We know that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you have stopped sinning altogether. We know that some of us still struggle with the truth. We tend to lie. Some of us still struggle with, with cheating, with dishonesty, with unfaithfulness. Some of us are still fighting in the relationships with people that we're supposed to love. Some of us keep falling in these same pits. But in Ephesians 3, Paul is telling us that the real issue is not these behaviors that we're trying so hard to get control over. He's telling us that the real issue is our hearts. And he's saying that if the things, if, if we want little incremental changes, then we can have those changes in our lives by um, reordering our behavior. But if we want to see transformation, if we want to become the kind of people that God has in mind for us to be, it's going to have to happen from the inside out. That's why he's praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us in the inner man. He's begging God that we would come to know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God and that we'll be filled with the fullness of God. And some of us are struggling with behaviors and we need to know that's not the real issue. Have you ever had, I know you have, just a horrific head cold? Like, you know that feeling when your head is twice as big as it's supposed to be and you can't breathe through your nose and your throat hurts and your eyes are red and watery and you can't focus on anything and you just, you can't even make your face smile. It just, it's like, you just sit, you know that feeling, right? Everybody knows that feeling? And then, and then it gets to be bedtime, right? But how are you going to sleep? You can't even breathe. So what do you do when that happens? I'll tell you what I do. I go right to the kitchen. I get this bottle called NyQuil, Nectar of the Gods. <laughs> and I take the bottle and I drink from it. Apparently, there's some cup you're supposed to use that and that doesn't interest me. Like, I need to go to sleep. So I'm just guzzling this bottle of NyQuil in the kitchen, right? And then sometimes I just wake up on the kitchen floor. I'm like, what happened? I, you know? But I need to sleep, Right? And so I've got to deal with those symptoms. I've got to deal with the stuffy head. I've got to deal with the scratchy throat. I've got to clear up my nose so I can breathe because those symptoms are keeping me from sleeping and I need to sleep. But NyQuil doesn't cure the common cold, does it? All it does is quiet the symptoms for a while. And as Christians, some of us live our lives on spiritual NyQuil. Some of us, we're in this incredible spiritual struggle and we go, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm going to go to women's Bible study this week and that'll give me a little pick-me-up and then I, I feel a little bit better. Uh, I, I'm, 
I'm, I'm really struggling to walk in obedience with God, but you know, I'm going to go to worship service on Sunday, and that always makes me feel a little bit better. And guys, there's nothing wrong with feeling better. It's just that if you're feeling better, but you're not getting better, it's a waste of time. I'm going to tell you something that some of you are not going to like, but it's biblical, so deal with it. Here it is. God is not very interested in you feeling better. I know that's hard. But as I read the scripture, that's what it teaches. He's not interested in you getting better on the outside, looking better. He's not interested in all that. What he's interested in is transforming your heart so that you become better. He's not interested in you conforming to what people think you ought to be as a really good Christian. He's interested in conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's interested in. And for that to happen, we have to know the love of God to the depths of our being. Because when that happens, when the change happens on the inside, it always works its way out to the symptoms. It always works its way out to those lists of things we want to be doing more of and the list of things we want to be doing less of, and it begins to change our behavior because we've been transformed on the inside. The real problem is not that we are, we are repeating the same behaviors. The real problem is that we don't understand who we are in Jesus Christ, that we really don't understand what it means that he loves us. And we really don't understand who it is that loves us and what a difference that can make in our lives. If we really understood it, then, then all of the stuff that is so important to us, all the material goods that we accumulate in order to make our lives more enjoyable, all of the status symbols that we have to have in order to tell ourselves and others that we've really made it in this life, all of those things that we cling to that we think are so important, we would look at all that stuff and we would go, who cares? If we really knew the depth of the love of God, the grip that, that people's opinion of us has on our lives would be broken. Our reputations would no longer be the big thing to us. Instead, it would, it would not be about what you think of me. It would be about what God knows of me. And my life would be different if I really got it. Our goals would be dramatically different if we really got it. You know who really got it? The Apostle Paul who wrote Ephesians. It seems to me that as he walked with God, he just got it. He was praying that we would know this depth of God's love. And of course, he didn't know the all-encompassing depth of God's love, but he knew it at a very mature level. You could tell by the way he lived his life. In fact, you're in Ephesians, right? Just um, go to Philippians. Philippians is the next book to the right. If you just turn like three pages, you'll be there. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to pick up Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 7. And while you're getting there, let me just tell you the story. Paul has basically said in the first six verses of Ephesians 3, I, uh, Philippians, thank you, Philippians chapter 3. He has said in the first seven, verse, six, seven verses of uh, chapter 3 of Philippians, you know what? I used to be somebody. I used to be impressive. In fact, I had all the degrees that everybody considers valuable in the academic world. I came from the right family and the right side of town. I had old money, not new money. 
I, w- I went to all the right schools. I was involved in all the right religious traditions. In fact, I was a rabbi, not just a rabbi, but a Pharisee, and not just a Pharisee, but the most impressive Pharisee in all of Jerusalem. Everybody looked to me and said, wow, there goes Paul, the great man of God. That's who I used to be before I met Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on to explain, I know I haven't arrived yet, but I'll tell you what I do. Every day I press on toward the singular goal of knowing Christ, of pleasing God, of living my life for his glory. And he lived that way. I'm sure he had his bad days. My guess is that he chose not to write about some of the episodes that happened in his life. I'm sure he had his bad days. But here's a guy whose life was defined by the love of God and what it can do in our lives. In fact, he says, all of this list of accolades and accomplishments that I had in my life before I came to know Christ, all the things that made everybody else go, wow, that guy's a wild success, all of the things that made me feel good about myself because I had my identity in those things, he goes, now, compared to the love of Jesus Christ, all of that is a big steaming pile of crap. I said it in church. And the reason I said it is because that is literally exactly what the Greek word means that is translated as rubbish. He says, I count it all crap. It's worse than rubbish. It stinks to high heaven compared to knowing the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what a big deal God's love is. He says, I, I had all of that and I've lost it all. And I'll tell you what, I couldn't care less because right now I have one thing, the love of Jesus Christ. Right now I have something I did not have at that time, the approval of the God of the universe. Right now I have contentment because when God looks at me, he says, here's a man who is living for my glory and that gives me a sense of fulfillment that I never found when the crowds were clapping for me. I have Jesus. Jesus loves me. What else could I possibly need? And knowing that truth changed everything for Paul. And that's why he's praying this prayer for us. We need to be changed in the inner man. We need to be transformed by the love of God to the core of our being. The problem is that we don't really understand how great God's love is for us. We kind of get it. And so we kind of serve God. But if we really got it, we'd be transformed. And so he says he's praying for us. And I told you last week, I'm praying the same prayer for you. Have been for years. Because after 35 years of public ministry, here's what I've learned. I cannot make you love 
God. Believe me, I've tried. And you know what else I can't do? I can't make you understand how much God loves you. I can preach and scream and shout and beat my Bible. I can send out really cool email updates every day to tell you how much God loves you. I could, I could fill my social media with verses about the love of God and how important it is in your life. And you could read every one of them and still not know the love of God if he doesn't show it to you. You, you may have come in here today not knowing Jesus. And you come in here not knowing him, maybe you just said, hey, they have great coffee there. I got to check this out. Or maybe you're out on the street and it started raining and you're like, I got to get inside. And you just bolted for the first building you saw and it happened to be here. And you don't know about all this Jesus stuff. And I could stand here and I could shout and scream and sweat and jump up and down. And I can, I can make the introduction. I can tell you about God's love. I can tell you about this God who looks upon you and me and he sees us for who we are, not for who we present to everybody else. He sees all the junk that we hide from everybody and he looks upon us and he says, I still love them. I love them so much. I'll do almost anything to set them free from the bondage they're in because of their sin. And I can tell you about a God who loves you that much that he says there's only one way to save them. I'll send my only son and he will die on a cross. He will bleed and suffer and drink the full cup of my wrath just to set them free from their sin, just so they can have the life that I want them to have. And I can tell you about that and I can explain it until I'm blue in the face. And some of you will still sit there and go, eh, I'm glad that religious stuff works for you, but it's, it's not my thing. I can't make you know the love of God and I can't make you love him. Have you ever had like a single friend that's just been single a long time and you keep trying to set him up with everybody? You know what I'm talking about? So you're just like, oh man, maybe it's like your child who's still living at home and you'd really like them to meet somebody, right? And so you're setting them up and you're, there's blind dates and there's dating services and, and, and you're always saying, hey, have you met so-and-so? And every time you meet someone about their age, you're like, hey, come on, let's get them together. And you go on double dates with them, you do all that kind of stuff. And they keep meeting these people and their response to it is always like, eh. You go, I don't get it. He's so nice and she's so great. Why, why don't they click? Why can't I make that happen? There was this girl that, I, before I was dating my wife, I, I, there was this girl that I had known a long time and she had had a boyfriend. I had another girlfriend. We never kind of connected, but we always liked each other. And, and this girl, I'm telling you, this girl was smoking hot, Right? This, she was the prettiest girl I ever saw, and, and I was intimidated by her. I was afraid to ask her out. I'm like, this girl, she's so far out of my league. But we were friends, you know? We did that friend thing, and it always felt like it could be more. And then she finally said, hey, we should go out sometime. And I'm like, okay. And, and so we started going out, went out two or three times, and it was fine. It was all right. But this girl, she was like a dream girl. I, I, I brought a picture of her. <laughs> I, 
I think that's her. It looks something like her. Anyways, um, and, and it just didn't happen. But, but around that same time, I, I met this other girl named Christy. And, and we went out on a date. It was our first date. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we went out on this date, and I spent three hours with this girl, and I'm done. I just fell like a sack of potatoes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just met the most incredible girl. And this girl still wants to date me. In fact, I still get grief from my wife because the night after she and I went on our first date, I went on a date with this other girl. Oh, come on. <laughs> and, and, you know, we had already had the date. We already, I, it would have been rude to, to break the date. So we, we went ahead, stop it, you women, get off my case. So <laughs> I went out with this other girl, and, and it was just like, I didn't even notice her. Because in my mind, there was Christy. And I was just sold. And, and next week, we celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. And I'm telling you, I love her more today than I did then. It's incredible how much I love her. And, and what's even more incredible is she actually loves me. And, and, and God has given us this amazing thing, and I couldn't make it happen with somebody else. God had to make it happen. And, and you know, some of us, we keep trying different religious systems, and we keep sort of dating around with God. And he goes, but if you just focus on me, I will show you my love, and it will happen for you. And that's what Paul is praying for. Romantic love is not something you can force. It's beyond you to manufacture it. And so it is with the relationship with God. The same is true with the love of God. Paul prayed for us to know God's love because he knew that there was nothing else he could do to make it happen for us. And I feel the same way as a pastor. That's why I pray for you the way that I do. I can't make you know the love of God. So like Paul, I pray that he'll reveal it to you. Friends, if we really understood the whole depth of God's love for us, we wouldn't have to be insecure anymore. I mean, some of us are so insecure, we won't even admit to ourselves how insecure we are. And, and, and you know, other people's opinion of us holds us hostage. It's the most important thing in the world. And we're so afraid that we might mess it up. If we're ever doing well and having a good season, we live in fear that somehow something's going something's gonna to make this go wrong, or this person who loves me is going to learn something about me, and they're going to stop loving me, and we have this whole insecurity thing going on. If we really knew who it is who loves us, and we knew how much he loves us, there'd be no more insecurity. Just ask yourself how different your life would be if you were never insecure. We wouldn't have to try so hard to please people. We wouldn't keep looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. We would be content. We would be joyful. We would be optimistic. We'd be filled with his power. If only we really knew the love of Christ. So that's what Paul's praying for. 
that God will keep on revealing His love to us and that we'll be transformed by that. Because some of us actually think, you know, if I just had a better job, then my life would be... Some, some, some of you are thinking, if I just had a husband. Some of you are thinking, if I just had a different husband. <laughs> right? And, and whatever it is, just fill in the blank. If I only, if only, if only, then my life could be full. But now it's just, it's just not quite there. Man, how great would it be to realize that we no longer have to say, if only, we can actually live in that life that God has in mind for us. That's what happens if we really know the love of God. Because that idea that if you just had another job, if you just had another friendship, if you just had another spouse, if you just had different parents, if you just had healing, if you just had more money, if you just had whatever it is that you so desperately want to have and you'd finally be content, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a lie from the pit of hell. All you need to be truly content is to know experientially, to know the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. He is all we need. Mark it down. So Paul prayed for us, and I pray for you. I'm praying that you'll know the love of God and be filled to the fullness of God so that we can stop feeling like we have to search for meaning everywhere else except for the only place we can find it. But even as I say that, some of you are thinking, I wish I could know God like that, but I just don't. I mean, I'm a Christian, and I believe but, but my life doesn't reflect the kind of peace and joy that you're talking about when you really know the love of God. And, and you know what? Honestly, I've been trying this for a long time, and I think maybe this is as good as it gets for me. Some of you feel like there are probably some chosen people who have these amazing relationships with God and therefore amazing lives. But the rest of us, we just need to get used to mediocrity and understand that's how it's going to be. Listen, that's not true. If you've ever been in that rut or if you're stuck in that place right now, I have great news for you, and that brings me to the actual verses I'm going to preach on. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Here's the great news. And, and Paul writes this. It's very interesting, these two verses. They stand out from the whole rest of the book because chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 3, verse 19 is Paul teaching us doctrine. He's telling us truth so that we can understand what is true. And then beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through the end of chapter 6, he's basically giving us practical application and saying, therefore, live this way. So in Ephesians, you get the doctrine all up front and the practical application all in the back. And in between, the bridge that puts those two together is the two verses I'm about to read to you. Paul's been talking about uh, the goodness of God, the love of God, and how he prays that we would know that life-changing love. And then in verse 20, it's as if it just all spills out of him. And he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able to do far beyond whatever we could ask or even think. See, some of you can't even picture 
A life with Christ where you knew the depth of his love every moment of every day. Some of you cannot even imagine that that's even possible for your life. And I'm just here to tell you, if that's where you're at, it's okay. Because you don't have to be able to think it for it to be true. Far beyond what you could ask or even think, Jesus Christ is able to do. Did you hear that? Christ is able. By the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within every believer, the same power that created the universe, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that same power lives within you if you're a Christian, and Jesus Christ is able to change your life from the inside out and then change the world through you. And if you don't believe it, you're disagreeing with God. It's a fact. You may be thinking, that sounds like a pipe dream. I know he's able to do a lot, but I don't know that he can really do anything with this broken mess of a life that I have to offer him. Paul knew you would say that. That's why he tells us that God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think. He is able. He is able. He is able. The power that works within every single believer is the power of the Holy Spirit that that is able to transform us from the inside out and then use us to transform this broken world. Jesus Christ is able. I know you can't do it. I know some of you have tried again and again and again to get on track with God and stay on track with God. I know that some of you have dreamed that maybe one day you could be really spiritually mature and people would look up to you and come to you for wisdom and wise counsel and all of that, that you would be the Bible teacher in the group, that you would have such intimacy with Jesus that you would just pray and things would happen that were miraculous. I know you dreamed about that once, but you've long since given up that dream because you've tried and tried and tried and you haven't found a way to do it. And I'm here to say, take the monkey off your back. You don't have to find a way to do it. He is able. Making you the person he wants to be, that's no problem for the one who spoke the universe into into existence. How awesome is God? He is more awesome than you know. Able to transform our lives. That is what the cross is all about, my friends. The, The cross is all about a hopeless situation where there is nothing that you can do for yourself. Dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul writes in Romans unable to even create anything that would be acceptable to God as an offering. Absolutely helpless. Absolutely hopeless. And the cross says that God looks upon people like that and says, I will make a way where there can be no way. And he sends his son to pay the price on the cross in order to set us free. He washed away our sin on the cross. He overcame death when by the same power that dwells in you and me as a believer in Jesus Christ, he laid down his life on the cross and took it up again in the tomb. He's able. And he proved it then, and he's been proving it ever since. Jesus Christ is able because of the cross. It's no longer a question of your ability or your inability. 
It's no longer a question of the power of your faith or your faithfulness. Because God is able enough for all of us, and God is faithful enough for all of us. Amen? He's able. His death on the cross gave you new life. I know you've heard it a million times, right? So you hear that and you go, okay, what's next? His death on the cross gave you new life. Not a repaired life. Not a reformed life. But a new life. That's what he's able to do. And he is able to help you to live that new life every day for his glory. And so I am here, if nothing else today, to give you permission to cease striving and know that he is God. And the one who is God is able to do far beyond what you could ask or even think according to the power that dwells within you.